This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. That'll include, a, I'll take out a shul, lead davening and stuff, and, and there'll be a butta for men Friday night. And, uh, and then, uh, what else am I going to do? Oh, please God, uh, the Possible Youth Seminar is coming to Brooklyn after over a year, which is really weird, but over a year, the seminar is finally coming to Brooklyn. Men's seminar starts Sunday, August 8th, and the women's starts Monday, August 9th. That's a real ex- heavy experience, very much worth being part of. You you, did what I say? I just filled you in on a little more part of my uh, dropping out of school when I was 11. But the, um, <laughs> September, September 8th, women start September 9th, and, uh, which is LL 9th this year, thank God, that makes life easy. And um, what else I want to tell you? Oh, is you can look it up online, it's called thepossibu.org. You're going to England. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say, is that I'm flying the next Shabbos, I'm doing a Shabbaton in Stamford Hill, in London, and and I'll be in London running a, the first time ever the possible you in London, which is amazing, and that's going to be something. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big deal. And people ask me why in the world would I do that? Why would I go to London to run the possible you? The possible you basically deals with the five deepest fears of humanity. The five deepest fears of humanity are are um, in order: their rejection. Failure, being controlled, um, the unknown, and pain, suffering. So these are the five fears of human beings. Meaning, I, it's these are the brakes. Meaning your brakes in your car. See, I know all of you think you're driving with your foot on the gas pedal, which you are. But what you're not letting anyone know, and perhaps you don't even know it yourself, is you've been slowly sliding. When no one's looking, you slide your left foot over and you press the brakes at the same time. And the results you get in your life are really not from your greatness. The results you get in life are really the leftovers, the shirayim, as we call them. It's the shirayim of what your fears let actually come out. It's like when my daughters make cakes, um, they ice the cake afterwards and then decorate it. And they have all these different shapes. They have a whole tool chest of shapes that they, that they squeeze out of these piping bags to make shapes. And they like to show me the shapes, like here's a flower, or here's a fence, or here's a tree. And, you know, they make, they make these shapes. But being who I am, you know what I see? All I'm seeing on the cake is what that shape at the end of the bag let out. It's, the left, it's whatever it let out. Because the shape's job was to keep it in. And so... What I see is the leftovers of what's inside the icing bag. And we are, you know what, you, you know who's sitting in your chair right now? Whoever your fears let plop out of the icing bag of your life. And the scariest thing about that is that none of the fears are real. None of them are real. The ones on the board. None of them are real. Because if you ever want, meaning rejection, forget about it. Like everyone's scared about rejection. That means the person you're talking to is just as scared as you are. So why are you bothering? And failure is, is and check out any successful person. They fail many, many times. So how could, the, how could your fear of failure hold you back when the successful people have failed over and over and over again? You have to learn to chew on the fat of failure. Failure is good for you. That, how, how are you going to learn anything without failing? And which is part of my, these are part of my years, by the way, out in this, 
out in the streets, basically, from 11 years old. Was, was hit, I hit a lot of walls running around out there. And I got to learn that I had, I got to learn that parents place, parents and communities and societies place the walls way before the walls are reached. And so the second you leave the walls that society put, the second you leave there, suddenly your instincts are gone. You're out of your depth. You don't know what is going on when really you were, should have been on solid ground. It's just that you're so scared to death that you, you freeze. And so you wind up just leftovers. Whatever your fears leave over is who you become. And the uh, control, like good luck having a society where someone's not in control. Control's good. Yeah, you need someone in charge of a school system. You need someone in charge of government. You need someone in charge of community. We need these people. I would never want to be one of those people. But, but those people are absolutely necessary if we're going to get anywhere in this world. We need cops. We need jails. We need, we need judges and law enforcement. And, and these, these are necessary things. And we need God. And God's in control of everything. So you're going to spend your whole life trying to like stay out of other people's control? You're going to have a lousy life. And I definitely learned that one. Because <laughs> I was under nobody's control for about 12 years. And whew, I've learned to appreciate structure. Okay? The unknown. You know, no one knows what's out there. But for you to sit here and stay indecisive about things. I even saw some girls who couldn't decide whether they were coming into this class and were blocking the door for a good, like, three minutes. And, and like, but we can all sit there in life and just let life choose for us because we're so afraid of the option, that, that either option might end up in disaster. But you've got to just choose and, and make your best choice and put all of yourself into things. Last is pain and suffering. Besides just wearing seatbelts and helmets at the appropriate times, you know... Why would you worry about that? Take it, be careful. Use general precaution and go for it. God will save you. You know, the first time I surfed a 25-foot wave, do you know what a 25-foot wall of water looks like? It's a little hard to describe. If you saw it coming at you, you would say it was bigger than 25 feet, even though it really only measured 25 feet. But the first time I surfed a 25-foot wave, it was, first of all, it was in a jungle in Indonesia, where nobody could hear you scream. It was, it was, I had been riding for an hour and a half on the sand on a, in a, on a motorcycle. I was 18 years old by myself in Indonesian jungle. I'm riding by myself for an hour and a half on a motorcycle down a sand beach. When I discovered this wave, it was so far away that I couldn't really see it. The only reason I knew that it was a surf spot at all was there's a few other motorcycles with empty board surfboard bags on the on the sand which means there's surfers out there and so because it was so far out it was breaking about three quarters of a mile into the ocean so then i paddled three quarters of a mile into the ocean now the sun was setting at the time and the surfers i saw each of them get these massive waves and i was like oh my gosh like amazing so happy to join them as well because you kind of it's nice to have a surfer to mark the spot where you're supposed to sit to catch the waves Except what happened when all the surfers caught their waves because the sun was setting, they went all the way into the beach. So I was by myself. And now it was getting dark. And there's like building-sized waves coming through, like literally like three-story building-sized waves coming through. 
And, and that's where I learned to ride 25-foot waves. And I stayed out there till I couldn't see in front of my face because the waves were just so awesome. And, and the white water always kind of shows up, white, the white water splashing. You know, the, the washing machine, you can see that a bit. And you just kind of surf from instinct because you sense the wave under you. And that's how I did it. And just since I'm on that story, I get back to my motorcycle, put my board in the bag, strap the bag around my, you know, around my shoulder, and start riding. I run out of gas. And next thing I know, I'm getting attacked by mosquitoes to the point where I couldn't even see the white of my skin. So I had to jump into the ocean to get the mosquitoes off and then jump out and run till I was covered again and then jump in the ocean. But I had taken malarial, malaria pills and stuff for the trip. And, and, then, and I just kept going like that into the night in the jungle and eventually made it back to, to my little tree house where I was staying with tiger tracks on the beach every morning. So, so I lived to tell about it. And now, how many of you would go for that? So everyone who raised their hand, which was very few of you, are going to get places. Yeah, you guys are going to get places in life. Because, because Hashem's running the show. God's running the show. And as long as you take general precaution, you're, you're, you're going to be perfect. Okay, now the last one is judge favorably. And for various reasons, when you see someone doing something that you don't like, Figure, you got to just figure there's a good reason. you got to always figure there's a good reason. Can you turn off that AC? We'll just get rid of that one. It's, it's just getting to be a meat locker here. We're all going to like live longer in here. Thank you. So, judging favorably is, is how, I mean, it's so often the case that, you know, like, let's say I go in the mikvah, and I'm a big mikvah guy. And uh, for those who don't know, Hasidic Jews spend every day naked with all of their neighbors. <laughs> anyway, the years ago there was this guy in our mikvah, and you know Israel's a desert, and we need our rain, and we need the canaret, and and the canaret's the the how do you call that the sea of sea of Tybi- the sea of the Galilee, it's our drinking water, but there would always be this like. This big sparty guy, and he would use the shower for like forty minutes, and he'd be like brushing his teeth in the shower. It was a public shower, you know. He spent his ten shekels to get in, and then spent like fifty shekels on water in there. And he's he's just like brushing his teeth under there, and and I would not enjoy my time there because. And I actually I've taken less showers over the years because of him, because I'm making up for the water that's missing from our, you know, our, our water source. And, and, but maybe he was like a youngest son who never got enough of anything. You know, like stuff didn't quite trickle down in a poor big family. Big family, not a lot of money. Very little trickle down coming down to the youngest kid. And he's finally got a chance to take a shower. And he's just going to like milk it for all he's got. You know, he's going to let every last drop of water come out of that canaret. And who knows what his story is? You know, who knows what's going on with that guy? And then I go in the water, and there's some balchuva in there doing like, I don't know what he's doing in there, like water aerobics. Or 
And so, you know, he's up and down, and but now the whole water is going like really up and down. And every time I try to come up from air for my ritual bath, the wave goes over my head. So, so now I'm like drowning inside the mikvah. And, you know, I just want to like give him like a sidekick and just pin him to the wall for a second just to get some air in this mikvah. But per- perhaps it's the case that, perhaps it's the case that he's had a bad injury or something and the doctor said that Listen, the only way you're going to rehabilitate is you need to be, have your body weight suspended while you get your strength back. Maybe that's what's going on in there. I mean, there's no way to know. There's no way to know. You know, another guy in the mikvah in the changing room, he locks, he has a little lock, and he locks his flip-flops <laughs> to, the, to the bench. But, you know, once in a while, you run into this guy's flip-flops, and I don't want to touch this guy's flip-flops. You know, the rest of us bring our flip flops. Like he's got to lock his flip flops to the bench, and but who knows? Maybe this guy had like some terrible foot fungus, and the, and the doctor's like, you, know, you got to wear flip flops. He's like, I got flip flops. He's like, but sometimes I forget them. And the doctor's like, you can never forget them, man. You got to wear flip flops every time. He's like, so well, maybe if I lock them to the bench. So you never know what's going on with people you just never know and I'm sure every single one of us could tell story after story after story of where we thought something was the case when it wasn't you know and what was that famous story of the (laughs) maybe it went viral as a video I I forget what it was but it was like someone was sitting in a cafe either drinking their coffee or eating their ice cream sorry someone else was eating their ice cream (laughs) And they just couldn't believe someone was eating their ice cream. And they were, like, getting so upset. They finally, like, just couldn't believe it. As they're them. And the person finally gets up, moves their paper, and, and sees that underneath their paper was his own ice cream. And really, this person had been eating his own ice cream. And the other guy's ice cream was under this newspaper. So, so like, there's st- we all have crazy stories like this. But I promise all of you that you should judge favorably also because if you were that person, had you lived that person's entire life, that would be you. That would be you. I'll give you an example. I leave my house on Shabbos. And I'm in my Strymon and I wear one of these big fur round hats. And, uh, you know, and I'm like in the long robe and, and I leave my house on Shabbos and I'm excited, you know, and it's Shabbos and I'm saying good Shabbos to everybody. But I walk out of my house, and what do I see? I see a tattooed, body-pierced chain smoker. Who's some guy smoking cigarettes out on the street right outside my house. Now, had I lived that guy's life, if I had his brain, his family structure, his freaked-out upbringing, his everything, meaning if I lived that guy's life, like the whole equation, you know, the entire equation of his life, what would I be doing right now? I'd be, I'd be that guy smoking the cigarette on Shabbos outside the house full of tattoos. And had he lived my whole life, he'd be this rabbi coming out of his house on Shabbos. So to judge somebody is as if you would have made a different choice. You couldn't have made a different choice because if you were them... That is the choice you made. So everybody is, all of us, I mean, who are you, who's sitting in your chair right now if not the sum total of all the mathematics, sibling order, community, who your father was, your brain makeup, your IQ, your 
everything, all of that is inside of you. And that whole long equation of everything you've ever been through has an equal sign. And on the other side of that equal sign is you on your chair right now. And I know you would wish that people would accept you. You wish people would judge you favorably. And so anyone you might have judged, anyone you might have judged is that person. You're just seeing the other end of a long equation. And therefore, don't judge nobody. And I'll tell you, this is particularly hard. I hate to admit this. This is like, now I always get too personal, but I'm getting too personal now. Is, but I'm going there anyway. The, this, is, this is one of the painful things of living in Israel. Jews who live Torah in Israel, and especially the ones who aren't from here, their whole being in Israel is connected. First of all, you're in your ancestral land and aligning your life with the ancestral heritage of our tribe called the Jewish people. And it just seems so darn obvious that that's the right way to go. It just seems so obvious. I mean, the writing's on the wall. Even, even as I teach this class, like, I'm literally, I don't know if you can turn the camera a little bit, if it would, Yosef, if you can focus it out the window, but, like, we're, we're, stand, we're right outside the Temple Mount here. Will it focus on over there? Oh, you can't. You don't know how to play with that light thing. Uh, never mind. Never mind. So, anyway, we're we're right outside the Temple Mount here. You know, like, is it not obvious that God kept us for millennia in exile, brought us back in six days? We had the six day war and returned to our biblical borders and and got back the most important site the most holy site of central to our people and not only to our people but to the globe it's like so obvious so the, so judging favorably is when you see Jews in the land who don't do any of this stuff many Jews who are like they're trying to like surgically reinstall their foreskins I mean, they, they, they can't do enough Gentile lifestyle things like nothing's enough. Like they can't be more gentle. Like they're they're trying so hard to be like the like to run as fast as they can and as hard as they can in the opposite direction of Judaism. So you've got to somehow figure out how they have turned a blind eye to God's hand in our destiny that has culminated in this very day, this day. Right now, 2019, or uh, whatever the Hebrew date is of this year, 5779. Like, you have to be like, you have to not look around. You have to be asleep completely or, or willfully blind yourself. It's called willful blindness. And... It's how do we judge that favorably? How do we judge that favorably? And they sometimes look at me hatefully, and at least until I open my mouth, and they realize they got the wrong guy. But sometimes they look at me kind of hatefully, like like I'm I'm somehow bringing up some guilt, or I represent something that's that's like taking us back in time instead of forward. 
something that that's embarrassing for them in the in the you know in the high tech world where Israelis are the cutting edge. I'm some kind of embarrassment. Like they're trying to show an Israel that's like Silicon Valley, and I'm showing an Israel that's ancient and it's a little embarrassing for them. I don't know what it is exactly going on, but you can shut that window a little bit. So. So how do we judge favorably? And the answer is, I guess I already said the answer. The answer is is that, because if I were them, I'd be doing the same thing. If I were watching those news stations, if I was watching the commentaries of the secular media, if I had, if I had, you know, these black hat people trying to take their slice of the pie financially from my community, I guess... That's one way. Is if I were them, I'd be doing the same thing. Uh, no, I'm just saying. How can I get through the day without being upset? Without being upset by it, I just don't want to be upset. I'm not talking about right and wrong right now. I'm just talking about being upset because things that are obvious to me are not obvious to them. Um, Yeah, that's okay. So was the guy with the tattoos and the body piercings and smoking on Shabbos. That equation was wrong, but but I can at least relax around him. So, I don't know. I don't know what to do exactly because I want to feel better about it. And I so blew it the other night. I was sitting in a, a restaurant with my in-laws. I should not have blown it in front of my in-laws, but I did. And the um, they had loud rock and roll music, and it was the countdown. To, it was during the nine days coming up to Tishabov. And it, the, the issue, you know, I wouldn't say anything to a restaurant playing music when we're forbidden to hear. You know, Jewish people aren't allowed music in the, that week. We're just we're Jewish, and it's forbidden music just during that time. And because uh, we're, it's the culmination of the destruction of the temple that that kind of last countdown comes without any more music and and I shouldn't have said anything probably I normally wouldn't but but it was too loud to hear each other and it was you know here here we are you know we were spending I was spending like I don't know maybe seven eight hundred shekels here to this business otherwise known as a restaurant and but then I looked around and I saw no one can hear each other. And then I looked around and realized everyone in the restaurant had a keep on their head. All the men were observing, all the women were observing, and it was just an entire room of, of men and women and children, all of whom would never play music right now. And if you do the math, it's thousands of shekels that hour that we're all sitting there that are going straight into this business. So I decided to get up and say something. And so I asked for the manager of the restaurant, and there, there was already, I should have got this, because there was already smoke coming out of her ears as soon as I mentioned music, um, but, I, but I realized that maybe I shouldn't ask her to turn it off when I saw the smoke. So I went easy, and I said, if you just turn it down to conversation level, that'd be great. And she says, oh no, it's Thursday night here, like... This is like we, this. This is quiet for Thursday night. And I said, "Well, we can't hear each other." And she's like, "No." So then I decided to mention like 
listen, look around the room here. Everyone's observant in this room. And none of us are allowed music here. And we're, we're not even allowed to listen to this music, or any music. And so why don't you just turn it down at least? You know, so it's not really so loud. And, and she's like, no. And, and then I but that wasn't where I blew it. Here's where I blew it. I said, you're not allowed to hear this music either. <laughs> she exploded. She exploded in a way that a woman could only explode like that if she was raised observant and has thrown it all off. Meaning I unplugged something. I mean, I, I, I took a cork off of something that was not from a girl raised secular. This was, I, impl- I uncorked something that was raised observant. And since I'm on that subject, something else interesting happened the other day is I was in a situation where, where I had to be interacting with a bunch of people and the women were not dressed uh, very modestly to say the least. And I had to interact with them as, you know, rabbi, I was brought to this place. So, you ready for this? This is the craziest thing. And I had to interact with all of them. It was a mixed group, but I had to be in interaction with each one. And they were really dressed like super not modest. Not a little not modest. Super not modest. And so, and so, here I was in this situation. But here's the crazy thing. Is that some of them were super friendly. Some were just super friendly and very connective. And some of them were like, they not... There was a whole, they were like every couple ones could not look me in the eyes. They couldn't look me in the eyes. And when they were supposed to meet, like everyone had to meet the rabbi. So when I met them, they were like looking everywhere but to me. And they were like, could not get out of the conversation quicker. Like they just needed, whatever they had to deal with had to happen, you know, for whatever. They were part of some camp or whatever it was. And, and I was the rabbi and I, was, I had to like find out a little about each person. And, and they could not look at me. So what did I find out later? That all the ones that were totally connected were raised secular. And all the ones that could not look at me were raised totally observant. And they just, their, their, their inner humiliation to be standing in front of me, which to me is a compliment. That I'm someone that, that your, your sense of shame grows if I'm in contact with you like that. Which is, which is, that means there's, that, because it's not, it's not just the look. It's, it, there's, there's some, something holy is happening and, I'm, and there's something not holy in me and I'm getting embarrassed now and ashamed of myself. But it was weird because it was totally on their turf. This was like loud live music playing and it was, it was a whole event. And it was for them to just party. And, and I was like part of the entertainment of it. And the... Uh, that there was so much shame for them. And it was such a truth serum for what was really going on for these girls. You know what I mean? It was like, it really, it really told you what's going on and that they're not happy with this. They're, they've bought into something. They're getting over some issue maybe with their mother and this is an acting out of some kind or some way of dealing with the pressure of grandparents from maybe post-war you know, very observant grandparents and, and they're just, they're suffering. These people are suffering and they can't even connect. And, uh, 
Anyway, but, but all of us have to learn how to work through our stuff without having to act it out. Like a sign of maturity is to work through your stuff. Once you're acting out your stuff, that's not, that's not you. It's not authentic. It doesn't ring true. If you can't look somebody in the eyes with, with who you are and how you're representing in this world, if you can't look someone in the eyes and stand firm in your place and be connected like that, then you're probably acting something out right now. You've got to feel comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. I was going to say, you said that earlier you were talking about the person with the piercings and the tattoos are, are you know, dealing with people that are different than you. Like, how do you judge favorably? And Rabbi Hurwitz, who I learned with age, always says... Do you mind coming up for this question and starting again? Yeah. It's just people always want more people on this. It just and all, the reason the other reason is the lapel mic. Yeah. No. So uh, now you can hear me. Um, so he's asking. Introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Michael Adams. It's a pleasure. I'm a student at Aish, and uh, he's one of my teachers. So he, he posed a really good question. He's like, "How do you deal with people that are different than you? You know, sometimes they have tattoos, sometimes they have piercings, and and they're not what you're used to." And one of our rabbis here, uh, Rabbi Hurwitz, he always says, "Love is the answer." And love we, is the answer. Love is the answer. Yeah, he was just saying that the other day. No, it's, it's so true. So love when you look at someone and, and, and they're different than you, and when you're trying to judge favorably, to really be empathetic and understand who they are and what they're doing, and they come from a place of love and understanding and, and not a place from attack and why are you doing this to me, but make it about them, and then everything will go better. So. I like that. You know, my brother wrote a song called Love and Understanding. Such a great song. No, but I'm willing to learn it. I'm willing to learn it. What's up, Yosef? Everything's good? Okay, let's, let's do the song. You ready? Oh, I blew the intro. Here we go. You guys ready? Maybe you'll sing with me a little bit. Not expecting any of the seminary girls to sing. And you shouldn't. For you. Also for me. Oh, could I read you guys something so amazing? Can I just read you guys something amazing? Check this out. This is crazy. I was um I I I'm connected to like tribal to like tribal leaders and stuff from the, you know, various places in the world, like jungles and stuff. So, you know, I speak in, like, panels. As a rabbi, I'm kind of, like I said earlier, I'm kind of out there in the world. And Sorry, I just got to tighten my belt a notch. I'm sure these two bubbas over here are like, they're like, give that guy a sandwich, man. He's like, <laughs> he needs a good brisket. Yeah. So, sorry, I apologize for being this thin, by the way. I, I actually, I'm, I'm covered in muscles. I just have no body fat. And it's Sunday. Sunday's clean. In our family, we all cleanse on Sundays. Because we're a super healthy house. And, uh, but we're also very Ashkenazi when it comes to Shabbos meals. And on Shabbat, we eat all the schmaltzy foods and everything. And, you know, the beef chillant and all that. But, but someone who loves themselves cleanses on Sundays. Because give your poor digestion a break after Shabbos. Right? Sunday, you, you don't want to eat solid foods on Sunday till maybe evening time. Food. 
Anyway, you shouldn't be eating that much anyway until you're hungry. Well, I just forgot I have an appointment with someone. I'm sorry, I'm still teaching my class, period. But I'll be done really soon, and I will call you, period. At a phone meeting with this Jew in New York. He actually did our discovery program. Um, why did I pick up my phone? Oh, yeah. Check this out. So I was speaking in a panel of about 23 tribal leaders, many of whom had never in, been in Western civilization. I mean, when I spoke, there were translators translating to tribal leaders, in, not in the dialect of their country, but the dialect of their tribes, like real tribal language that doesn't exist. Like, for example, there was tribal people from Brazil, from the Amazon. The, the translator was not translating in Portuguese. They were translating in a dialect from that jungle spot where their tribe is. Anyway, so what had happened was, it was a big thing. I mean, there were 800 people in the audience, but the front was the leaders. And I was speaking on behalf of the, behalf of the Jewish tribe. Now, they found out that my wife happened to be in America when I came in for this talk. And they said, if your wife could be there with you up on stage for this, for this talk, because it's a, it was a talk on what's called the sacred feminine. <coughs> sacred feminine is, is a mystical tradition in every tradition, especially in Jewish tradition, the, the, the sacred feminine. And that was what every tribal leader was going to speak about the sacred feminine. And what better thing than to have the rabbi's wife right there alongside of him for this experience, right? So check out this check out this email from my wife. Um, just pull this up real quick. Sacred feminine. You know the crazy thing is this video didn't. Um, look at this. Oh my gosh, this was a beautiful email. Another one she sent. She, she's an excellent writer, my way. One sec, sorry to do this in front of all you. <laughs> she is so hardcore. I got to star that one. I just found an email to me that's super long that I never read <laughs> but I just she sends me these great emails and I maybe this is it okay I think I found it so it's taken a while here Okay, I'm blowing this. You guys are so patient. I appreciate it. Um, maybe this is it. Okay, here it is. Ready for this? Now, this is my wife's response. 
When I stood up in front of these 800 people coming around for like the nations of the world's tribal leaders speech about the sacred feminine, my, my, I read this email instead, instead of having my wife up there. Listen to this. She says, yes, but the power of this Jewish sacred feminine and the masculine one she empowers comes specifically from her hiddenness. When she is on stage with the masculine, it reduces his strength, dividing into two what was better flowing from one, especially because the one is meant to be the mashpia. In other words, the male is supposed to be the, is called the causative. The male is the is acting upon. By the way, females wear that masculine. When you're cooking, you're acting upon. When you're feeding, you're acting upon. You're in the masculine. Believe it or not, when you feed someone as a woman or a man feeds someone as a man, you're actually in the masculine by causing that. Which is really strange because the most feminine thing in the world is to help sustain people. Yet that's the masculine while you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I am certain, period, (laughs) meaning she's certain. This is rocky waters for the world's traditions to hear. She knows the world's traditions are in front of me. This is rocky waters for the world's traditions to hear, especially at the sacred women's festival. The feminine is rising, and when it finally comes panim el panim, face to face with the masculine, Mashiach will be here. As As intoxicating as it is, to want to speed the rising through external motion, meaning women being more external. Wisdom tells us that the real rising is from within and needs to be honored, protected, and protected to stay within while it's developing. Which is, she's, that's, she's hinting at giving birth. It needs to stay within while it's developing. Sometimes expecting parents, oh, there it is. Sometimes expecting parents just want to see their baby already and induce an early birth. It is a mistake. The most organic growth for the feminine happens within. The masculine throughout history, either through jealousy or lust, has distracted the feminine from making her real rising, reducing her body and psyche to the external. Women, all women, are meant to be on stage together. And for its real power, no men need to witness it. The feminine is not something the masculine understands. Only one woman and one man together can create the sacred space, if selflessly devoted, which requires humility, vulnerability, and honesty. And that will reveal to them the language of shared understanding, the greatest pleasure, the closest a person can come to the divine. Counterfeit sharing especially with its dizzying pleasure, remains counterfeit and can be identified by our need for more and more. So I'll be there in the crowd, meaning she'll be sitting amongst the 800 people out there. So I'll be there in the crowd. I'll find a good spot, happily lost shoulder to shoulder in a sea of women. Happen to be a mixed crowd. But no, I don't think this conference would receive blessing from above if the divine presence, the Shekhinah, from Jerusalem was cheaply plunked on stage for all to behold. The Shekhinah will reveal herself when she knows it's right. Shekhinah means the divine presence. 
The Divine Presence will reveal herself when she knows it's right. Hashem, God is running the show. We just got to follow our ticket stub and sit where he wants us. We know where we'll, we know where we will see best. Sorry, he knows where we will see best. How's that for a message? So I stood up in front of all the... Oh, you can clap. If you want. <laughs> I mean, my, my wife's writing is unbelievable. And she actually wrote an 850-page book on the Jewish holidays from a woman's perspective. I don't know if you realize this, but all those bookstores with the holiday books, they, those are all written by men for women. Only women read those. So all those holiday, I don't read those books. Only women read these books. They're always men written. So my wife said, how about a woman writes a book for women for the holiday books that the women are the only ones who read? And, and so it's called Good Yontif. And it's based on holiday. They, every publisher is like, you're not publishing an 850-page book. So, so far, only thing out is Hanukkah. And I think the next one's coming out is Shavuos. But What's the pen name? She doesn't have a pen name. She's just herself. She's hidden, but not that hidden. Her name is Leah Glazer. And guess what the series is called? It's called Good Yontif. Good Yontif. No, no, she's hidden. <laughs> Her books you can get. She wrote that. She wrote. Yeah, she's an amazing writer. She's from another planet. She's from another planet. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, experiences. She's grown a lot. You know, you know, my wife became observant. My wife became observant. You got to hear the song, and then you'll go. They, my wife became observant, and she uh, she she used to be at weddings. She used to be. You know how girls will be on the mechitza watching the men dance. So those are like the mechitza the mechitza clingers. Yeah. So so those are the girls that have been affected by. They've been affected, a lot, not everyone, but a lot of them have been affected by feminism, which is a non-Jewish thing where, where somehow men are like, watching the men dance is where it's at. So we're going to watch the men dance. And my wife said she, it took her 10 years of living in the Jewish world until she finally, like, I need a better, a good word, but like got her fingers out of that partition between the men and women at the wedding. And like, what's a good word for like, Extracted, till she could extract her fingers from the partition between the men and the women dancing, and go celebrate with her sisters, and just dance the night away with the women. She doesn't need to see a man dance. She doesn't need to see the action on the men's side, but just to dance with her sisters at the wedding. So she said she was. Fu- we were fully immersed in our Judaism for ten years till she could finally. Start celebrating being a woman. So we we don't realize how much it affects us. These external forces that are foreign to our our people. Okay, here we go. We're gonna start with the first one here. Teacher, right? Teacher? You know that you're not gonna be right every time. 
Sooner or later you step across the line You might need a guide just to let you know Which is the way that you want to go I say lecha rav in translation get yourself the teacher yourself a friend judge all people charitably our fathers recommend what are we on now friends right there's gonna be times when you're feeling all alone You're gonna need someone to call upon the phone Someone whose friendship is tried and true Someone who just wants the best for you I say the Rav Let's go. 
want to clap so let's clap off the beat okay we're not Persian get yourself a teacher earn yourself a friend come on everybody judge all people charity a father's friend one more time get yourself a teacher earn yourself a friend judge all people charity my father's recommend Cover, Thank you very much. I've never taught a class with a guitar around my shoulder the entire time and just only played at the end. Um, those who've been watching this online, uh, please click on all the appropriate spots, you know, like the subscribe or the share, whatever you're watching. You know, get it out there, send it to your friends, click, click on the link, and please join the mediaclub.com, and let's keep pumping this out there into the world, okay? And seminars, Brooklyn, New York, you can fly in too, people fly in every seminar, Brooklyn, September 8th, and uh, London, September 15th, I guess it is. What's Sunday, ladies? Sunday is the 15th of September? Anyone know? Whatever Sundays. It'll be the 15th. I think so. Okay, shalom everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.